The theme of this station is information is power. And this is a good time to get this important information. So call with your questions. There are no dumb questions. Don't be embarrassed to call if you have a question. Uh, whether it is, you know, is the deed the same thing as the title? Uh, what happens when people die without a will? What happens in probate or in court? What's a trust and how does it work? Does a trust, you know, prevent creditors from getting to your property? All of these are questions that I would encourage you to call and ask if you're curious about it. This is a good time to get this kind of really important information because it's the kind of thing that will protect you and empower you and generations to come. Because as you hear me say every every week, law is really powerful. It can help you or it can hurt you. Law impacts everything that you do. What you don't know about the law hurts you, particularly in this area of the law when it comes to property and money and family. What you do know about the law and what you use the law, when you use that knowledge and have your documents prepared appropriately and properly, it definitely empowers you so that you are taken care of properly And when you pass away, your property goes where you want it to go. So each week, Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell aims to empower you by bringing you professionals who know the law to inform and enlighten you. Voting is also powerful. I want to remind you that. You must vote. When you don't vote, Others who do vote have power and control over you because they are exercising their power over you. So you must vote. You really must. And you must teach your young people how important it is to vote. And you must vote in every election there is. Don't sit down just because there's no presidential election or there's nobody you know, that looks like you that's running or nobody that you feel warm and fuzzy about, okay? Exercise your right to vote. It's really important in in every day, but particularly today. Vote in school board elections. Vote in county elections. Vote for judges. Vote for, make it your business to know who's running and to support those who agree with you and have your best interest at heart. Don't sit voting out. It's really, really important in our country. It really is. And if you're on the voting rolls, you may be called upon to sit on juries. If you're called to jury duty, go. Don't make up some excuse not to go. That's where justice is meted out and you have the opportunity to be a part of the process and to sit in judgment of the facts that are presented in the courtroom. 
So I'm urging everybody listening to me, and I'm urging you to tell your friends and your family, vote, get on the jury rolls, and go and exercise your right to act as a juror when you're called upon to do so. It's my understanding that jury um, cases are starting to reopen again. So take advantage of this. It's one way of exercising your rights and protecting the people in your community. It's really, really important. Remember, though, what I say on this program is for information and purposes only. There's no attorney-client relationship established just by listening to me on the radio or listening to the podcast or listening to, you know, we listening to the, the programs that's on the website. I have two websites, and I encourage you to use them because they're up 24-7, lawtalkwithethelmitchell.com and willsandtrust.net. We've also started a podcast where you can hear the program at any time you want. Go to Spotify, you know, Google Podcasts, whatever you call it, you know, Apple Podcasts, all of the major most of the major podcasting platforms, and we're there. Just look up Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell, and you can listen to the programs, okay? Take advantage of this. Take advantage of this opportunity to learn and to share what you've learned with your friends and your family and to use it. You've got to do something with this. You've got to actually get your documents done get them signed properly, and then hold them and preserve them where someone knows where they are and can get to them and use them when called upon. Last week, I did an entire program on what you should do if you have been named as a personal representative for someone or someone has asked you to have their power of attorney, uh, to act on their behalf while they're alive if they become incapacitated. I also talked about what you should know if someone has asked you to be the personal representative in their will and to help distribute their property at the time of their death. Same thing if you've been named as a trustee in someone's trust. And I encourage you to, when you do a will or a trust, to tell and show the person who you've named to be in charge where it is. You can use your own judgment about whether you want to give them a copy of it. If you're relatively young, you know, in your 40s, 50s, even 60s, and in pretty good health, you don't necessarily need to give them a copy of the will. Because you might change your mind, but you definitely should tell them where the original last will and testament is, where the original last will and testament is. I mean, specifically, show them if you have it in your home, where you keep it. If you have it in a safety deposit box, tell them the exact physical location of the bank where it is. 
give them a copy of the key or at least put their name on the box and tell them where the key is. It's very, very frustrating and disconcerting to know that somebody has named you as personal representative and they don't know where the will is. This happens all the time. People call me up and they say, Ms. Mitchell, my aunt, my uncle, my mother, my brother told me they named me as personal representative of their will, but I don't have a copy of it. I don't know where it is. It's really, really important that you tell them, preferably show them where the original last will and testament is. Because they need the original when you die. Not a copy. They need the original. There are things that we can do if we can't find the original, but it's drawn out, it's expensive, and it's iffy. We don't always, we're not always successful with getting the original or getting the copy admitted to probate. And if the will is not admitted to probate, then the law determines who gets what from your estate and not your wishes. Okay, so that's really important. Uh, you're listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. I'm your host, Attorney Ethel Mitchell. Give me a call while I'm here on the air. If you have any questions about deeds, what happens when somebody dies, power of attorneys, medical directors, or anything, a trust, 1-800-450-7876. If you'd like me to either work with preparing your documents, call us at 240-638-2828. That's 240-638-2828. And we'll be glad to work with you to get your documents prepared. If you'd like us to review what you already have, we'll schedule a consultation where you send in what you have already and we will review them with you and if you've already been named as the personal representative or trustee by someone and you want to know what your duties will be, what you're expected to do, we can certainly set up a consultation with you and or the person who named you so we can explain what's going to happen and what needs to be done and maybe sometimes make recommendations that might make it a little bit easier on everybody involved. So give us a call, 240-638-2828. Each week, I tell you that there are certain documents that everybody needs to have. Those three basic documents are a last will and testament, a power of attorney, and an advanced medical directive. A last will and testament, a power of attorney, an advanced medical directive. For many people, a trust is also indicated. It would be very helpful. But not everybody needs to have a trust. But it definitely serves its, its purpose. Now, I thought that, you know, today I might give you some examples of what happens as a practical matter. That, you know, just... What happens when somebody has a power of attorney, medical directive, will, and or a trust? And what happens when they don't? And how they come to have these documents 
just as an as examples to show you as a practical matter, a down to earth matter. Because if you listen to me, you know I'm really down to earth. This is real stuff here. This is not make believe. This is not fiction. This is not. I mean, you may see it on TV sometimes. You can see where people are fighting and carrying on. Uh, but this is real, okay? So I thought that today would be a good time to do some examples. Um, hopefully I'll get some questions, you know, where I can explain it or explain whatever you have questions about. Because I know if you have questions, it means that probably a couple hundred other people have questions, okay? So call in 1-800-450-7876 while I'm here. But I thought that, let me give you an example of a lady, uh, and this is sort of a composite of different stories and situations that I have learned, I've worked with, and read about, and so on. But this is very real. A lady is um, in her 60s or 70s, okay? She was married, Uh, she had a child, but by this time in her life, her husband has died, and her child had died, and her family lives hundreds of miles away. She lives in Maryland, family lives in North Carolina, Mississippi, California, sometimes in other countries. So she's essentially living in Maryland without any close family. She doesn't have any children, or even if she had children, maybe her children don't live near her physically. And she she knows that she needs to have somebody. She listens on the radio, she hears me talking, and she does, you know, I need to do that, but I don't know who to name. I don't know how to do that. So this is one of this is an example of someone and what they did. They were very active in their church. They they you know not as a leader or a deacon, but went to church every Sunday. Uh, had a close church family, um, uh, and and so she began to observe people in her church very closely. She noticed uh, young people. She thought it would be wise to have somebody younger than her. Some people think that. Um, but someone who was mature, someone who could be relied upon uh, to help her if she needed it. She observed how people acted, how people behaved. She wanted someone that had integrity. She wanted someone who was honest. And these are all the kinds of things that anyone should look for, even within your own family, when you are trying to decide who you would name to have your power of attorney, who you would name to be your personal representative or your trustee. You want someone who is honest. You want someone with integrity. You want someone who is going to be careful with your money and with you. And so she observed and didn't say anything to anybody. 
You know, it's not anybody's business. You don't have to tell nobody your business, by the way. Okay, and as everybody knows, when you come to a lawyer, we can't tell anybody either. You know, that, that lawyer confidentiality thing is very real, very real. So you don't have to tell people that you're doing this at all. Okay. But she did notice there was a particular young man in the church who was active in the church. And he actually had um, a role, not an official, kind of an, not an official role. Like it wasn't a huge church, but it, he helped with the finance. And she just watched him and observed him and noticed that he was honest. He was straightforward. Um, he probably was married to somebody, you know, I don't know. But she began to feel like, you know, maybe that might be a person who could help her. And you can do the same thing. You know, it might, could be a young lady, could be a man, could be a sister, a sister friend. A lot of us have sister friends, you know. Um, they don't have to be a whiz at money, but they should be honest. Okay, they should be honest. And if you have quite a bit of money, like a lot of my clients have more money than <clears throat> most of their families, and so they don't want their families to know they got all this money, you know. So you may not want somebody in the family necessarily, but you may have a sister friend, a guy friend, who, you know, a, a, a male friend, you know, and this could be a man or a woman uh, thinking about this, but you know they're honest. And what's most important is that they're going to be able to seek out professional assistance if you have brokerage accounts, retirement accounts, those kinds of assets. They're going to take, seek and take advice from other professionals. That's an important quality. All right. But back to our lady at the church. She doesn't have any children. She doesn't have a husband. Uh, and this could be a man or a woman, by the way. But she is a part of a group, her church family. And she's looking for someone in her church family who would be able to help her if, God forbid, she became sick. So she does focus in on someone in particular in her own mind. She's just thinking this in her own mind. She's not saying anything. She's not talking about it. But she's trying to make up her mind, and, and this is something that you all can do, okay? Anyone can do it. It might be in a sorority. It might be in a fraternity. It might be in another group. But, if, you know, it could be any, any group of people where you are a part of. And there are a lot of single people out there. There are a lot of people that uh, are, maybe they were married. Maybe they never were married. Maybe they had children. Maybe they never had children. Um, it might be a niece, it might be a nephew, it might be a son, it might be a daughter, a grandson, you know, whoever it is, but you, you observe and you carefully make a determination that, you know, you may zero in on one or two people. In, this is all going on in your own mind. You should be careful, you should observe, you should see how they handle their own money, you should see if they're trustworthy, be real. Okay, I tell my clients, be real. Observe. Does his wife run him? 
does his wife or her husband take control and take all the money or whatever? Because you don't want them doing that with your your money. You see what I mean? So be real about this. Um, in making your selection to determine who you want to name, because you have to tell me who you want to name. And hopefully you have more than one person. You can say, I want this one first, but then if they're not able to do it, I want that one. And this decision-making goes on or can go on in your own family. I'm using as an example a lady who didn't have children and didn't have a spouse, but this the same considerations govern when you do have a spouse and when you do have children. You know your children. You know who's going to be honest, who may be a little less than honest. You know who's going to create trouble in the family. Okay, you know who's going to really take care of you. And if you're married, your spouse, if he or she becomes sick, and you know who's not. Okay, you know who's good with money. The person who may be may have the biggest heart and be right there if you ever got sick may not be able to balance her checkbook. Okay, so I tell my clients, be real. Name one person to manage your money, who is good with money. Name the other person, or maybe the same person, who's good with, who has the time to take you to the doctor, to go to the hospital, to get your medicine and so on. Make that person the, the medical, give them the medical directives authority. And you can always say they both have it, but in different orders. Another thing that's coming up quite a bit is sometimes one child is already spending a lot of time taking care of a parent or a grandparent or a someone else. And so you don't want to overburden them with the responsibility of taking care of you primarily if there's somebody else who could do it. So sometimes I have clients that will say, you know, I'd like my son to do this, but he's already involved with taking care of his grandmother. Uh, and so why don't I name my daughter first? And then, of course, if she can't, then it would be him. Because I trust him. He's good with it and so on. But he, he's got his hands full right now. Whoever it is, and it should be more than one person, Observe them carefully, and then act. You could always change it, but decide who it's going to be. Contact your lawyer's office, whether you're here, Mississippi, Alabama, California. It's the same, the same process. Contact your lawyer's office or a lawyer's office, and once you know who you want to serve these different roles on your behalf, Get the names, the addresses, and the phone numbers of all these people. And then make your appointment to have this power that you want to give them, this ability that you want to give them, put in writing, because it has to be in writing in a legally enforceable way, and contact the lawyer's office to get this done. 
you give us a call at 240-638-2828. We'll send you the client information packet to fill out, which, which is where you put down this information, who you want to name to be power of attorney, medical directive, personal representative, and trustee. We need the name, address, and phone numbers of those persons, whether they're friends, family, it doesn't matter to us who they are, but you have to make that decision. And then tell us about property, and we'll begin the process of getting these documents done for you. Many different cases that I've had, but this is one that actually happened very much like this, where a lady found someone in her church, and she asked this young man if he would be willing to act as her power of attorney if she were to get sick and, you know, talk to her doctors and and just be a support for her because she didn't have anyone. Um, and, and he said yes. And so she contacted me and had his name, his address, his phone number, and so on. And so we prepared her will, her power of attorney, her medical directive. And in her case, she wanted a trust because she owned her home and she had some other assets and she had some relatives and so on. They just didn't live near her. So they would not have been of help if she got sick, Uh, but she did want to benefit them when she passed away. And she also wanted to make sure that whatever duties this young man performed, he would get some kind of compensation for it as well. She didn't have a lot of money. She didn't have a lot of assets, but she also had saved carefully, and she had enough to take care of herself. She had some good savings. Like I said, she had a home. And um, and so the young man said yes, and we prepared her will, her power of attorney, her medical directive, and a trust. And it said... Her document said if she became incapacitated and unable to take care of herself, this young man was empowered by her power of attorney, medical directive, will and trust to talk to her doctors, make medical decisions on her behalf, assist in determining where she would be treated, where she would be kept. And also was empowered to have access to her bank account to pay for her care, to make sure her home was fine, and so on and so forth. And so we created the documents for her. He did not have to sign them at the time, but we made copies of the documents for him so that, again, because they didn't live together, you know, or anything like that, she would see him at church. But she showed him the book that I had prepared for her that had all the documents in it. And I made copies of the most important documents and gave to him. So he had his copy if, God forbid, something would happen. That was about six, seven years ago. And every once in a while, you know, we might exchange, you know, hello, how are you, phone calls, and so on like that. And then... He calls one day and says, Ms. Mitchell, Ms. So-and-so had a stroke. And I got word that she was in the hospital. 
And I went, and she was very disoriented. She didn't really know what had happened. She didn't know where she was. It was a pretty bad stroke. Uh, But she wasn't paralyzed, but she did have some um, loss in her physical uh, one side was, was, was impacted. And like, like, you know, he said she was, she was very confused. So she, he went to the hospital. He took the, the documents with him because he wasn't her relative. He wasn't her husband. He wasn't her son. You know, he wasn't related to her in any way. But the document that she had signed years before said to the doctors, this is Mr. So-and-so. I appoint him. I authorize him to find out about my medical care. You can talk to him about my condition. If I'm not able to make a decision, he can make the decision for me. He can sign releases. He can authorize treatment and so on and so forth. And so he took the documents with him to the hospital, a medical directive. Nowadays, they scan it in, and so it's part of her record. And that allowed him to talk to the doctors and make sure about her care. They let him into the room. He could see her. He could, you know, he, he was legally authorized and empowered to do this. And that's what these documents do. That's why you hear me say every every week, have these documents done and prepared. Because even if this were her son or her spouse in some hospitals, in many hospitals, they won't talk to you. They won't even if you need somebody there, they don't authorize. If you haven't authorized them to do it, they won't do it. But because she had signed the power of attorney and the medical directive as part of her estate package, the medical community talked to him, opened up to him. Uh, he could be a part of the decision. He was participated in what kind of treatment she, she would have. He went to the room whenever he needed to. He took care of her needs and so on. And then he was also able to take the same document, uh, because it's a series of documents, not just one document. He took the power of attorney and the trust to the banks. And he went to the banks. And, you know, we talked, because he called to tell me what was happening. I said, okay, this is a document you use for this, and this is a document you use for that. And so he went to the banks, and he got his name put on the bank accounts for the power of attorney. He was able to get on the bank accounts that was in the trust. And he said, Ms. Mitchell, I, I'm so glad we have these papers because now I can talk to the doctors, and I can pay her bills, and I can see how much money she has. Because he didn't know. He just knew he would be empowered to do this. But they weren't like bosom buddies or anything like that. So he didn't know how much money she had or not. But by having the power of attorney, having the, the trust and so on, and getting on the bank accounts, now he knows she has X amount of money in this bank, X amount of money in that bank. She gets this monthly payment from her pension. 
you know, and from Social Security. And now he is a full part of making decisions about what kind of care, you know, she's going to be sent to rehabilitation. And then after that, he can make the decisions on her behalf about what kind of health care she can afford and he can make the arrangements for her and so on. And so by having these documents in place, she arranged for him to be able to take care of her financially and medically, even though she is alone, she lives alone, she's single, and she's not able to now, now she's not able to do that for herself. That's what these documents do. That's what these documents do. And people call me all the time saying, Ms. Mitchell, I'm so glad we had those medical directives. I'm so glad we had the power of attorney because we could talk to the doctors. We could know what's going on with mom or dad. We could make sure that they were being treated properly or that they were getting the proper kind of care. And in some cases, people have taken them out of one facility because they weren't treating them properly. They weren't caring for them properly. And so they move them to another one because they're authorized to do that. That's what these documents do. You're listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. I'm your host. Call me now while I'm on the air at 1-800-450-7876, one 450 7876 and call us in the office if you have if you want me to do these documents to empower you to empower yourself so that if god forbid you get sick we never know what's going to happen you are at least protected and you have empowered someone to make these kind of decisions for you that you know and that you trust when i come back from break I'll continue to explain how this works, and I'll be available to answer your questions. Call 1-800-450-7876. While I'm on the air, this is a good time to get this kind of information. And I want to urge you to urge your families to do this. It really makes a difference. And unfortunately, People don't do it, and they wait so late until it is too late to be done. You've got to be competent and able to, you know, tell, explain, and sign these documents in front of witnesses and a notary. And so call while you're well, preferably, so we can get them. And it takes time to do them. So before I go b back into the example that I've been giving, I just wanted to bring everyone's attention to a Washington Post article that's on in the Washington Post today. Um, on the front page, it starts, it talks about as black universities grow, old tensions return. It's a large article. It's a good article. And it really talks about HBCUs, what's happening there, the difference in funding, and so on. And my, I, I want to encourage everyone to get it and to read it. I get it delivered uh, to my house every day. But um, one of the things that it makes very clear is, 
you know, the disparity in funding to HBCUs is huge and has been historically. So I want to encourage everyone, when you're doing your will or your trust, and when you're doing your charitable giving, uh, include HBCUs in it. Give a, a, a donation to a historically black college or university. Uh, make sure that they thrive, not just survive, but thrive. Your $1,000, $5,000, $100, whatever it might be, is critical. We can support our institutions by the, our numbers. We don't have to wait on multimillionaires to give money. We can give money ourselves, both individually, you know, in your regular giving. You may want to consider doing some of your, whether you tie it to your church or whatever, some of that could go to HBCUs because many of us went to HBCUs and they are still graduating the largest number of PhD graduates and so on. Uh, Morgan is doing very well. They're doing, they're educating. Uh, they have some, some uh, courses in Maryland that no, no other school, black or white, has. And, uh, HBCUs need to continue. They need to exist. A lot of the children in the article that I call them children um, say that they go, their enrollment is up actually because they feel safe at historically black colleges and universities. And in a lot of predominantly white environments, our young black people don't feel safe. And so we need to keep a safe space for them. I want to encourage you to include donations to. HBCUs, when you do your estate planning, and one very simple way to do it is include a percentage of your life insurance uh, money. Many of you have uh, big life insurance policies. Many of you belong to AARP, and you have these New York life insurance policies that they, they uh, uh, support. Uh, so keep those things in mind. You can give 10% of your retirement money to an HBCU, to Howard, to SIS, to Bennett, to any of the schools that have served our community over the years. So I just wanted to put that in, to put that plug in, to put it in your mind, and to encourage anyone listening to add donations to HBCUs in your regular charitable giving plan, if you have one on a regular basis while you're alive, but certainly to include them in your wills and in your trust, okay? So, there's, like I said, there's a very good article on the front page of the Washington Post today, Saturday, February 19th. Take a look at it and do your part. We all need to do your part. I think I'm going to increase what I do because that's how I got educated. I mean, I wasn't, my mother got educated, my fathers were educated, all at HBCUs, and there's still a need for it because we're going, it looks like the country is starting to go back into a post-Civil War mindset where there are people who are coming out of the woodworks who want to frighten and keep us under their thumb, and we have to resist that in every way possible, and don't get you know, thinking that everything is okay, because it's not. 
All right, it's not. Anyway, I just had to put that plug in there, um, and I hope that some of you will act upon it, uh, particularly those of you who may not have children of your own. A lot of the larger schools um, uh, receive um, large sums of money from people who never had their own children, so they donate their money to these schools. And I want to encourage in our community that our community consider doing that. More people in our community can consider doing that. We all can do our part. And I hope that our churches will kind of join in this campaign to keep our HBCUs uh, available, okay, for, for our children. Okay, so back to my discussion today about the difference between having these documents your will, your power of attorney, your advanced medical directives, uh, and not having them. I gave the example of a single lady in her 60s, 70s. I think we did the document. She was in her 60s, but when she had the stroke, she was in her 70s, maybe even 80s. I'm not sure. Um, And she named a person in her church to be her power of attorney medical directive and successor trustee in her trust. And so when she did have a stroke, the person that she named took the papers to the hospital, got his name put on her medical records so that they had to contact him to get permission for her care, talk to her doctors, make sure she had the proper treatment and so on like that. He was able to take the same papers to the banks that put on her bank accounts was able to pay for, co-pay for her medicine or whatever she needed, and is now intimately involved with decision-making about where she's going to be treated, how she's going to be treated, and taking care of her home and so on like that. Because she empowered him to do so by having a medical directive prepared, a power of attorney prepared, and a trust. In her instance, she had a trust prepared as well. And so he was, he's able to and continues to take care of her in this way. You can do the same thing, but you have to have it done ahead of time. This was set up, prepared, signed, executed several years ago. And that lady could rest well because she knew she had done what she could do. The person that she had named was was able to do it and actually stepped in and is doing it right now for her. So please, I beg of you, call the office. Let us do this for you. It makes a huge difference. If she did not have these documents, it would be an entirely different set of facts. When I come back after this break, I will give you an example of a situation that happens quite often where people call the office and they say, my neighbor, I get a lot of calls from neighbors who are good friends. My neighbor had a stroke or my neighbor is unable to manage anymore. What can I do to help them? Or my mother, my father, it has COVID. They're in the hospital. You know, what can I do to help them? And they don't have any of these documents. So when I come back after this next break, I'll talk about that with you 
And again, if you have questions, please call in at 1-800-450-7876 or call the office at 240-638-2828 and we'll schedule a consultation to explain to you what can be done and then work toward getting those things done for you and for your family. I understand I have a caller on the line. Can you hear me? Hello? Yes, now I can yes. hear you. Oh, yes. Okay. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Sister Mitchell. Um, I, I'm a first-time caller, but I've been listening to you for the last five years. You know, a topic oh like my. this okay. takes us a long time to get moving, but I, I, I trust and believe I hear you. Um, two okay. questions. Um, one is social media, and this is about Wendy Williams. Her assets were frozen um, by Wells Fargo Bank, and it, it, it dawned on me. And I said, well, maybe she didn't have a power of attorney because when I hear that someone's assets are frozen, the, the, the benefactor for me to have all of these people in place uh, is so that, you know, if ever you're incapacitated mm-hmm. or, or, you know, physically immobile or some, some whatever the situation is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your mm-hmm. team would, you know, work for the benefit of you okay. if they're in place. Exactly. So it, it made me curious. Maybe she didn't have a power of attorney. And I don't mean to get in her business as much as I was just curious. Wouldn't that, that, wouldn't that have been a benefactor of why you, we, we have a power of attorney to have our monies? Ready in in the event that I, I say I just lost my voice and I couldn't speak or whatever, but would help me understand that that's one. And Absolutely. Then the, okay. And then the second part is um, like I said, I'm I'm I've been working with my family and we're you know we're, we're talking more about this discussion. Paper isn't mm-hmm. quite in place, but when you just gave the scenario about the young man, I mean the the, the widow, and she saw the young man in church. You said she had family. See, my family's elsewhere. Is it recommended mm-hmm. to have family close by to be your directive, power of attorney, that kind of thing? Or can they literally still be out of state? Well, okay. Let me answer this way. Number one, I know absolutely nothing about Wendy Williams. Okay, so let me just put that out there. So whatever I'm saying <laughs> is not an answer to anything because I haven't even – I know of it, you know what I mean? Like anybody, you hear about it and so on like that. And I notice when I rarely can look at TV during the day because I'm working, but I've noticed that somebody else is hosting her show. So I figured something's going on there. Um, So I don't know anything about Wendy Williams. I don't know. I I can't speak to that at all or her legal affairs or what's happening with her. But the, 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 the primary question that you're asking is if, a person has a trust, power of attorney, you know, directives and so on, like I encourage everybody to have, would that person be able to step in if you become incapacitated? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. As long as the documents are in place the and, and everything has happened, you have to first have a lawyer prepare the documents. The doc, and when I say documents, I mean the power of attorney, the medical directive, the last will and testament, and perhaps a trust. Trust is really helpful, okay? And then they have to be signed, witnessed, notarized properly. 
And then you have to put your bank accounts in the trust, meaning simply that you transfer the titles on your non-retirement bank accounts into your trust so that if, God forbid, you have a stroke or you become incapacitated, the person that you've named to be your successive trustee steps right in and is takes control of your trust assets, the bank accounts and so on, that you've put in the trust to take care of them for you. In some instances, in many more instances, lately, when people are doing this and they're already suffering from a, a disease or they are older and they, they trust their, whether it's a child, a parent, a spouse, or friend, to manage for them, more and more we're naming them as co-trustees so that right away they're able to, you know, step in, take control if necessary, or assist with managing the money and the assets that are in the trust. So the question about would this have prevented the need for freezing the assets, because I don't, in most cases, yes, I don't know any of the facts around why they were frozen. So I'm not going to speak to that because I don't, I don't know. I just don't know. And I don't like talking about things that I know nothing about. There could be other reasons why they were frozen, because that's a very strange thing to do. You know, it's very rare. It's very strange. And I don't know what, what that's all about. But absolutely, if you or any anyone has their trust in place, they put their bank accounts into the trust, they put their house into the trust. They've named who's supposed to do this if they become incapacitated. That's the whole reason for doing it, yes. But you have to do all the steps, okay? A lot of people think they can just buy these trusts off the street, and then it's going to work that way. Or they get these trusts, and they never do what we call funding by putting their house in the trust or putting the bank accounts in the trust. Then that doesn't work. You may be able to use the power of attorney for that, but having something in place is absolutely critical. Now, to the question of whether it's better to have family nearby or better to name family and so on, uh, number one, it depends on family. Okay, not all families get along now, all right? Just just know that. Not all family members are trustworthy. Not all family members are good with money. Okay, and I tell people... Be, be, be real. You know, you can love your son, your daughter to death, but if they can't balance a checkbook, you don't want them on your checkbook. Okay. So just be real about it. All right. I mean, be considerate and all, but this is your money and that money needs to be there when you need it to be there. And this is particularly true with the power of attorney for legal and medical. I mean, for legal and financial, I'm sorry, with Mm -hmm. medical family, friends, whoever you want, whoever has the time, the energy, the ability to take you to the doctor. If you live in Maryland and your son is in California, he might not be the sole person who you want to name on your medical directive. You might want to name a neighbor. Okay. Let's say you don't have any other family, but you know, nearby. You might want to name a neighbor and your son or, or your son, because I'm doing that more and more. When it comes to medical, we often will say or. And what that does is say you have a next-door neighbor, 
you have your son, you have your daughter, you know, and maybe a sister or something like that. Not necessarily in that order. But either one of those, you would want to be able to know what's going on with you. If the ambulance comes to your door and they take you Got out it. of the ambulance, okay, you want your neighbor to have a copy of your medical directive and then, hey, wait a minute, she told me that I could – I could go with her. I could go in the ambulance. I could find out what's going on. That neighbor can find out what's going on with you. Then the neighbor can call your son in California. Your son in California can call your doctor. Your doctor would have a copy of your medical directives, and the doctor would be able to say, oh, okay, Joe, Joe uh, Smith is her son. I can talk to Joe Smith. That's her son, even if he's in California. Mm. You see? So that's how you kind of do that with on the medical mm. You can name more than one person, and and if appropriate, you can say or. And I'm doing okay. a lot of that now because people do have family in different places, or maybe the family's all here. You just want them all to be able to know what's going on, okay, with, with your medical care. Uh, but right. especially where so many people are living alone in today's yeah. world, you know, yep. and 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 they're isolated, and they yep. uh, they just don't have anybody physically close. And that's why I'm starting to talk with neighbors. I'm getting neighbors calling me and saying, "Miss Mitchell, my neighbor is incapacitated." They may not use that term, but that's what they mean. You know, that she's right. in a nursing home. You know, her, her if they have children, they're somewhere else. Um, you know, what can I do? And I, I say, you know, well, number one, I have to be able to talk to that person if that person mm. authorizes you to be able to act on her behalf. He or she has to be able to tell me that, okay? I need to then have a way of preparing that, you know, so I need to talk to them. I need to be comfortable that they're in their right mind because once you're not, I can't do nothing. I can't do anything. I can't create documents because somebody said that you said that they would be right. able to do this. You see what I mean? And that's why I encourage everyone, get the documents done ahead of time when you're, you're, you're well, you're healthy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're, you know what I mean? And to say, okay, if something happens to me, this, you do this, you do this, you do this for me, okay? And I'm going to go to the lawyer. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to give you copies of it. Because you need to have that piece of paper. When that person goes to the hospital, you need to have the piece of paper that said, that person said, I could do this. Okay? Or you need to be able to have the power of attorney or the trust thing. I, and when you go to the bank, because you got to go to the bank. Bank's not going to let you have access to money if they don't have some document that the person who owns that money signed saying that this person is authorized to get into my bank account. They won't even tell you if you got a bank account there. They right, won't tell right, you right. how much is in the bank account. They freeze that stuff up. If you haven't done it, they really do. And okay. then you're really in a mess, okay? Right. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. So that's why it's really okay. important. And thank you for calling because that was a great question. It, but it really illustrates why it's so important to have these mm-hmm. documents done and have them done ahead of time. Don't wait until you get sick, please, especially in today's world. Because you get sick That's quick. It. 
the persons that you've named to do this for you, your personal representative, your attorney, in fact, they're called in the power of attorney, or your healthcare agent has a copy of it, okay? Or at least knows where the originals are, if need, if need be, especially the will. The trust, same thing. They sh- probably should have a copy of it and know some things about it. At Wills and Trust LLC, what we do when we prepare these documents, we also give the client a three-ring binder that has the original documents in them and a, and a copy of the document because we don't want you marking on the original. Never, ever mark on an original document, on an original will, power of attorney, a medical directive. Even if you initial it, it can invalidate it because the court doesn't know if you did it somebody else did it. So don't mark on the original. We also have, we ask our clients to put a statement from every bank account that they have, a written hard copy statement of insurance policies with the beneficiary designations on them, retirement account, your TSPs, your 401ks, your 403bs, I'm working with several estates right now where we can't even find the retirement account because the person had just started working at a particular company and they died like within 18 months, but they had worked at all these other places. So now we got to go to all these other places and try and find out, did they have a retirement account or not? Okay. And that takes time. It takes energy. It takes money. Um, So we put all these things together in one book in a way in which people can easily get them, find them, know where they are. It's too big to lose in terms of, you know, it doesn't get lost usually. I tell people, show your agents what this book looks like. Tell them where you're going to keep it so they can get to it. And in some instances, particularly if the person is already sick, if you're already sick, we make extra copies of the book for the agent so that they have theirs. In some instances, the agent who's often a child, an adult child that's going to be taking over or taking or take, helping their parents, often they will take the original and leave a copy with the, the, the parent. In all of these instances, the documents can be changed. So maybe you're in your 50s, you're well, you want to do this, but you may want to change your mind later then don't give them to the person. Just tell them, I've done this. Here's where they are. But know that you can always change these documents as long as you are in your right mind and you get to the lawyer in time to get it done, okay? So give us a call. This is the only thing that we do. Don't keep just talking about it. Do something. Because you can talk and talk and talk, but when you die, the court is not going to listen to it. The court is not going to hear what somebody said to you if that person is dead. If they didn't put it in writing, it will become of no force and effect. So give us a call at Wills and Trust LLC, 240-638-2828. Think about what I said in today's program about how you decide who should be who should serve these functions? Who should do these things for you? 
as a lady called, it's quite possible to put this in place, even if your family is nowhere near you. You can empower them to do things for you if, God forbid, you get really sick. You know, we can write these things in such a way that they're empowered to do something. I didn't get a chance to get into what happens if you don't have it. Basically, you've got to wait till the court gets into it. You've got to get a lawyer, pay a lawyer, file a guardianship proceeding. Guardian has to be appointed by the court, and then a, usually it's a lawyer that's trained to do this. They come in, they take your money, and they take control. And that's what has to happen if you haven't taken care of your own business. So give us a call, 240-638-2828. It's all we do. I have another lawyer that's helping me and looking at some others, too. Have a good day, and in the meantime, continue to stay safe, please. 